0: Let's pray together. Father, we do come as thankful people. Father, and we give you praise and glory, meaning we simply acknowledge you as you are, and we do so with joy because of what it means for us, for the purpose that it gives us, for the direction. God, for the identity that it provides us. Lord, as your people, we know who we are. We know why we are. And we know how we're to go about this thing called life. And Father, to to accomplish what you have created us for, which is to bring you glory. You have given us your word in which you have revealed these things to us. And Father, we've acknowledged that we're not smart enough to come up with a purpose, and a concept of who you are that's consistent enough to satisfy. And therefore, we begin with who you have revealed yourself to be so that you remain ultimate. And Lord, in this word, we learn how you have called us to interact, to live in relationship with you. And so as we turn to it now, having sung its truth, prayed its truth, given in light of its truth, Father, we now turn to study its truth and ask that you would speak to us through your word, which we believe was inspired by your spirit for your glory. And we pray, God, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Thanksgiving celebration, which we as a country annually recognize the fourth Thursday in November, has roots, if you knew this or not, in a proclamation made by the Continental Congress back in 1777, first composed by Samuel Adams. This call by the civil government of our infant nation to acknowledge God's loving kindness stated... For as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to Him for benefits received, and to implore such farther blessings as they stand in need of, and it have having pleased Him in His abundant mercy, not only to continue to us the innumerable bounties of His common providence, but also to smile upon us in the prosecution of a just and necessary war for the defense and establishment of our unalienable rights and liberties, particularly in that he hath been pleased in so great a measure to prosper the means used for the support of our troops and to crown our arms with most signal success. It is therefore recommended to the legislative or executive powers of these United States to set apart Thursday. The 18th day of, in this case, December. Next, for solemn thanksgiving and praise. That at one time and with one voice, the good people may express the grateful feelings of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor. And that together, with their sincere acknowledgments and offerings, they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins whereby they had forfeited every favor and their humble and earnest supplication that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance, that it may please Him graciously to afford His blessing on the governments of these states respectively and prosper the public council of the whole to inspire our commanders both by land and sea And all under them with that wisdom and fortitude which may render them fit instruments under the providence of Almighty God. To secure for these United States the greatest of all human blessings, independence, and peace. That it may please Him to prosper the trade and manufactures of the people and the labor of the husbandmen. That our land may yield its increase to take schools. And seminaries of education so necessary for cultivating the principles of true liberty, virtue, and piety under his nurturing hand. And to prosper the means of religion for the promotion and enlargement of that kingdom which consisteth in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1777. 19, se, 19, This proclamation was unanimously adopted and the day promptly celebrated. And over the course of our nation's history, as you know, there have been numerous such days called for and remembered for the purpose of giving God thanks for His loving kindness. And the events of this coming week reveal that it continues to be the case. And while I'm I'm fully aware of, and I fully appreciate the fact that the significance of this celebration may have changed, likely has changed, I believe that it still stands As a day on which God's people ought to give him thanks. From hearts that are full and with words that reflect the sentiments expressed in that psalm that Mike read for us earlier. And so if you have a Bible this morning, would you open it and find with me Psalm 138? Psalm 138, and if you're already there, that's great. Maybe you can help those who are around you, but let's find together Psalm 138. 138. And as you're turning there, just by way of reminder, over the past two weeks, if you've been with us, we've studied two different psalms or songs of thanksgiving. And in the first, Psalm 69, we identified the purpose of thanksgiving, and and that is to glorify God. When we give thanks, we acknowledge the one being thanked as being better, greater, more glorious than ourselves. And thus we sing, as David did, I will praise God's name in song and glorify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. When we give God thanks, He's glorified. And then last week we examined Psalm 30, and we listened as David again sang or gave thanks, but this time specifically for God's salvation. And once more today I believe we're going to see David lead us in song, a song of thanksgiving, this time for God's loving kindness. And so, before we look at Psalm 138, let me provide just a a possible backstory to the song. And I say possible because there's disagreement in the scholarly community, as there always seems to be, with who actually wrote this psalm and with what the occasion may have been. And that said, there are a significant number of commentators who believe, based upon the introduction there, that if you have an NIV reads of David that it in fact means that it was written by David. And I'm inclined to agree. And So to start, I believe that this song is a psalm of David, which may have been written in light of God's promise to the king that was recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now for those who are unfamiliar with David's story, he began life as a simple shepherd. He was the youngest son of Jesse. And David was a nobody. His older brothers were all quite impressive Physically, such that when God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint a new king following the first king Saul's failure, Samuel was convinced that each son of Jesse's he saw had to be God's anointed because they just looked regal. They just looked kingly. And but, but after each was presented, the Lord rejected them and informed his prophet that man looks at the outward appearance, but that I look at the what? Heart. God looks at the heart, and after all of Jesse's sons had been passed over, Samuel asked if there weren't any more, to which Jesse admits almost sheepishly, yeah, they're still the youngest one, pun intended, but he's with the sheep. He's a shepherd, and so Samuel instructs him to call the boy, and when he arrives, the Lord tells Samuel, rise and anoint this young man. He's the one. David had the humblest beginning, but over the course of his life, God makes this young man into a mighty warrior. He famously slays the Philistine giant Goliath. He becomes leader of Saul's army. His accomplishments go viral such that a nation sings about his feats comparing him to the incumbent and not in a healthy way. And so Saul tries to kill him but God protects him such that by 2 Samuel chapter 7 David's enemies are defeated. His throne is established and the ark has been brought to Jerusalem at which point David realizes he's living in a palace while God's presence as tied to the Ark of the Covenant where God had promised to dwell and meet with his people, God's presence remains in a tent. And so David recognized all God has done for him and he wants to make sure that everyone else knows how great God is. And thus he determined to build a temple. And at this point, God makes a covenant with his king. He makes a covenant in these words, to establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up Your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And this messianic promise, a promise of a coming king. So overwhelmed David that he entered immediately the presence of the Lord. And he prays this beautiful prayer of thanksgiving, which is recorded in 2 Samuel 7. And it's this event that many believe to be the motivation behind Psalm 138. So, with that context established, that in mind, that introduction, I want us to look at verse 1 together now, where I believe that this psalm teaches us that thanksgiving is personal. Thanksgiving is personal. Verse 1 reads, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. You notice how David begins with the first person singular there? I will praise. And our NIV reads praise, but if you happen to have the ESV or the Holman or King James translations, they offer, I give you thanks regardless of which term you use the sentiment expressed, is that of gratitude to God for what he has done on the psalmist's behalf. And so David sings, I will praise you. I will sing your praise. This is a song recognizing God's kindness demonstrated to the individual singing. Thus, the singer here is personally giving thanks. This isn't a group text. This is a personal message expressing love flowing from one's whole heart. Nothing is held back here. What David is describing here in Psalm 138 in his singing is the total abandon that he had demonstrated likely just days before he wrote this song when he had the ark enter Jerusalem and he danced at the front of the train. And there he's described as leaping and dancing, dancing gyrations such that his wife was embarrassed just like mine is whenever we hit the music and her husband starts to boogie. I'm telling you it's this is what is being described the depth of affection of David for the Lord and appreciation for all that he'd done. And so David's song reveals how thanksgiving is personal. In church I would imagine that this this truth this morning stands to reason. Any such expression of thanks while it may be voiced in the third person must reflect individual sentiments. You can't be thankful for someone else or on their behalf without in some way being personally affected by that for which you're giving thanks. Because the very fact that you're expressing another's thanks reveals the positive impact that whatever it is has had on you through the one whose thanks you're communicating. Simply stated, thanksgiving is personal. We give thanks for that which impacts us in such a way as to improve our lot or our personal circumstances, individual circumstances. So thanksgiving is personal. And second, Thanksgiving is public. Thanksgiving is public. You notice how this expression of praise or thanks is made before the gods? Before the gods. What David is not saying here is that there are other gods there that must be real or in competition with Yahweh before whom Thanksgiving is performed. And let me qualify that term real because what I believe David is communicating here by his use of that word gods there in quotes, in your Bible, is that there are other things that people worship, for sure. There are other things that people worship, and these things are deified, meaning divinity is attributed to them. We see this form of God in the Scriptures described just a few psalms earlier in Psalm 115, where there the writer says, why do the nations say, where's their God? Our God's in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him, but their idols... Where that term idols, I believe, could be substituted for our term here, gods. Their gods are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they can't see. Ears, but they can't hear. Noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, but they can't feel. Feet, but they can't move. They have mouths and throats which utter no sounds. And so these gods, so referenced, are very real in the sense that they have forms. They have names, and sadly, they even have followers, numerous followers in some places, but they aren't real in the sense that they're living. Only Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is God. He's the God in whom is life. And as his followers then, authentic worship or praise or thanksgiving, as it's described in this song, is that which is done in public defiance of all else that is considered divine. And church, so must our worship worship be done in public. You can't be a secret follower of Jesus. There's no such thing as a private Christian who dwells in the shadows and refuses to take a public stand for Christ. And the New Testament paints a very clear picture of the public manner in which God's children, God's people are called out from the world. Jesus' prayer in fact. in John 17 points out how we are not of the world but yet we're living in it. There's a distinction then which marks Christ's people, such that we stand out, we're different, unique. The book of Acts traces the church's public nature as it was formed in cities throughout the region, and in every situation, those who came to Christ were either openly persecuted, imprisoned, killed, or in the very least, ostracized by their communities. Such a hostile reception to Christians and to following Christ made that public commitment very unappealing. You didn't have the the cultural Christian phenomenon that we face today. We're giving thanks in a public setting, say at a Christian concert or a conference or some other form of gathering is celebrated. Now, I fear that there are many in our nation that fail to express what is at the heart of this song because of how the church has accommodated the culture. And so let me explain by by way of affording us or providing us with two further points this morning with regards to Thanksgiving. And the first is that Thanksgiving humbles, much like we talked about with the children. Thanksgiving humbles. Verse 2, David notes, I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name. I will bow down. Now, Josiah and Ben did an awesome job. It's like they've been practicing their bowing. But this act of bowing demonstrates both reverence and humility. Pride is no place when you're on your face before another. Am I right? And and I realize that we might all agree with this point in principle. However, the practice of bowing, it isn't very familiar to us in the West, at least not to me. And sadly, neither is the act of standing to show honor, which was the closest behavior to bowing that I could come up with. Now, when I was in school, we had to stand. You can ask Herbert, he can attest to this. We had to stand in school. When a teacher walked into the room, it didn't matter what you were doing. If Even a student endowed with authority walked into the room. You stood, and you remained standing until such time as that individual decided it was right for you to sit back down. And then you did, but you remained standing. This is how you demonstrated honor for those who had been placed in authority over you. But today, I don't know that we have any such expressions of deference, unless you're in the military. Now, most people today are unfamiliar with practices that demonstrate humility. And so we can only imagine or experience through the practices of others how humbling it would be to bow before another. And yet the truth here, I believe, is that thanksgiving humbles. And then additionally, thanksgiving occurs in God's holy presence. Thanksgiving occurs in God's holy presence. Now, for David, as he sang this song, this was... A reference, and it was located to the temple. As in verse 2, it states, I will bow down toward your holy temple. And as we said before, in this reference, now David wasn't specifically singing of Solomon's temple because it was built after his death. But rather, he was singing about the place where God's presence rested. That was the site where God had promised to meet with his people, which during David's reign would have been the tabernacle. But churches, as we know, we no longer need a temple. For Christ's life and death have fulfilled the law, it's removed the veil such that now we may enter God's presence as we've described today. We enter God's presence through the new and living way opened for us by grace through faith in Jesus. However, this personal access that we have doesn't fit within or it doesn't conform to our individualism noted in American culture because we are still together corporately as the writer of Hebrews exhorts us, don't forsake meeting together because where two or three of us come together there jesus has promised to be in our midst this gathering then such as we see today of sinful men and women who have been saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone it's marked by the fruit of god's spirit who indwells each and every one and is the deposit the seal the guarantee of our inheritance unto eternal life tragically I believe that this gathering of supposed God-glorifying, Christ-loving, spirit-indwelt women and men in our nation has been so influenced by our culture. So this gathering of the church has been so influenced by the culture that I fear the gods before whom David so boldly confessed, so courageously confessed his thanks have in fact become the gods to whom many bow. And this is why the humility that ought to mark our thanksgiving. And the thanksgiving that ought to, to define our gatherings are nowhere to be found. Rather, what marks the church in many places in America isn't humility, it's pride. It's not a sense of community, but rather one of radical individualism, not a love for one another, the love by which Jesus had said all would know were his disciples. Rather, there's an antagonism towards those who are different. Friends, our culture has adopted the language of the Bible such that today there are many who speak of God, knowing God, loving God, and serving him, and they testify to being heaven-bound because they walked an aisle, they made a decision on one day, they asked Jesus to come and live in their hearts, and yet when you examine their lives... All that we're seeing described here in Psalm 138 is absent. They aren't thankful to God with all their hearts. They care only for what God can do for them. Their lives aren't marked by God's Spirit's fruit of humility or of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness for that matter. Rather, their limbs are figuratively like the the fig tree that Jesus encountered on his way into Jerusalem. Their limbs are bare. The thanksgiving that David is singing about here doesn't reflect the culture. He's singing about a thanksgiving that is counter-culture. It's personal. It's public. It's humble, and it occurs in God's presence. And in this song, David is specifically giving thanks for God's loving kindness and faithfulness. Would you look back now at verse 2 there? And here we're going to focus on the second half, but I'd like to read from the start where David writes... I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name. Why? For your love and faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. I believe the whole reason behind David's song here rests on these phrases. Now, NIV renders them as your love and your faithfulness. The ESV translates it as your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The Holman offers constant love and truth while if you have the NASB translation it renders this as loving kindness and truth. And I like I like the word loving kindness best in this instance because I believe that it captures the sense of action that's communicated by this term in its original. And by this I mean we all know today that love is a verb. We've got songs that describe this, that love is a verb. It's a doing word, as I was taught verbs are. However, in our 21st century, Shakespearean-influenced understanding of sentiment. What I believe many view this term as is simply a noun. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. Something that we just have. It's, it isn't something that's performed. It's not an action performed actively. Rather, it's, a, it's, a, it's an emotion perceived passively. And I think that this word today, love, can be so easily misunderstood, which is why I prefer that term loving kindness, which I think incorporates this, this emotion of, of love, this feeling of, of love with an action of kindness. And, and that's exactly what David is giving thanks for. Because as a recipient of God's gracious covenanting, he's been shown radical kindness without redress. And all that he can do is and humble himself, defying all other gods, and give Yahweh thanks. In church, we've all been shown this loving kindness. For each and every one of us is alive today in this moment we all woke up this morning we didn't deserve that grace gift and yet here we sit and we could go on from there beginning to enumerate the myriad of ways in which God's love has been shown us such that our lives have been impacted materially physically spiritually emotionally by this kindness but were we to try and and do so it would consume all our time because as James informs us in his epistle every good And perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. And so while we might attempt to point out the innumerable physical and material demonstrations to us of God's loving kindness, the greatest gift, the ultimate expression is as James goes on in that same verse and says, it's that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. It was Jesus. New life as described to Nicodemus by Jesus in John chapter 3. That's the gospel. David recognized here in God's covenant a promised king, a promised king who would reign forever. He would defeat all enemies, not simply those that were leading foreign armies, but also those that led the powers of sin and of death. David put his faith in God's Messiah. He trusted that the Messiah would save him in church, just, just as God God's greatest demonstration of his loving kindness to David was this. So too is it ours. Only difference is that we know this Messiah's name and we know the details of his great gospel story. For we know that God sent his only son, whose name was what? Jesus. And he was like us in every way and yet without sin. Christ came not as the conquering king that David likely had anticipated, but as a humble carpenter He didn't enter Jerusalem as David had envisioned on a war horse, but on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And he didn't slay his enemies as many of the Jews had hoped, but he submitted to his Father's will, and as the Lamb of God, he was slain for the sins of the world, so that whoever believes in him and repents won't perish, but will have eternal life. And this this was the greatest act of loving kindness ever. And in fact John the Apostle tells us. That this is how we know. What love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So David sings this song. Of thanksgiving for God's loving kindness. And his truth. Or, or faithfulness. And here as with God's love. David's recognizing an attribute. Which God has already displayed to him. And upon which he is placing his hope. For God had promised to establish David's throne. As you recall years before David ever entered Jerusalem. God had promised to protect David as he stood before Achish, who was the king of Gath, and then as he faced the Philistines, and as he was pursued through the desert, and now established in Jerusalem with all of his enemies vanquished. David had personally experienced God's faithfulness. He knew that every word from the mouth of the Lord was true. And church, so do we. Over this past year, haven't we experienced together God's faithfulness? Has he fulfilled his promise to direct our paths as we trust in him and not ourselves? As we seek to obey him in all of our ways? And hasn't he provided for all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus? Why? Because we who have the son have life, don't we? In Christ, we've been given all that we could ever need. And he is always with us, just as he promised. Church, we have experienced God's faithfulness just as did David. And therefore I believe that we ought to bow in thanksgiving before our God because he alone is God. And as we do, every time that we do, I believe that God will again be faithful to his word which he has exalted above all things along with his name as David has sung. And we'll see and we will know the thanksgiving effect. The thanksgiving effect which David sings about I believe in verse 3. And it's there that he declares these words. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. And I believe there are two effects to thanksgiving described in these verses. The first shares the focus or the sphere of our initial point, that is, it's personal, while the second follows our second point's emphasis, and that is that it's public in its effect. And so first, the personal effect of thanksgiving results from God's faithfulness or from his truth, practically evidenced as he answers David's prayers. So the first evidence or the first personal effect results from God's faithfulness or his truth is evidence as he's answering David's prayers. Now, it must be conceded, that the covenant described there in Second Samuel that we reference is, is never explicitly acknowledged to be an answer to the prayers offered directly by David. However, if you were to look at Psalm 21 in verse 2, along with Psalm 61 in verse 5, they seem to allude to it being so. Regardless, the point here I believe is that as David gives thanks for all that God has done, he's emboldened. And friends, this is true for us today. Now, I can think of numerous occasions in my life where the Lord answered prayer. And rather than stopping to give Him thanks, I just kept coming back with more requests. I simply kept entering His presence with more gimme, gimme, give And life just began to take on a very confused look. But when I stopped to think, which Psalm 73 describes as entering His sanctuary, when I stopped to think and to thank Him, then everything began to come into focus. And my faith was strengthened. I took comfort in the knowledge of what God had done. And if He had done it, then we know He can do it again. If God is for us, what do we have to fear? And so I believe that the first personal effect of thanksgiving is soul strengthening in the present. It strengthens us as we look at what God has in store for us in the moment. But there's also a confidence that He provides as it regards the future. Because David sings verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble... You preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O oh Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. In the Old Testament, God encouraged his people to raise markers or Ebenezers, as they were described, which is just a huge stone, a rock. That was raised in a specific place to serve as a reminder of all that God had done for his people on a set occasion. And here I believe that David's song of thanksgiving serves as one such reminder. For as he sings, he's, he's filled in the midst of his song with confidence. For he knows that the Lord will fulfill his plans. Why? Because he's faithful and true. And church, our God hasn't changed, has he? He's still faithful and he will not abandon the works of his hands. So what markers have you raised in your life? Or have you raised any markers? And if you haven't, then I would encourage you in this week that comes to set apart as a part of your Thanksgiving celebration to remember, what has the Lord done for me? Because in doing so, I guarantee that you will find yourself strengthened in the moment as you face the problems of the present, but you'll also find yourself filled with confidence in regards to the uncertainties of the future. So the first effect of thanksgiving is personal. And the public effect follows as it's evidenced in the response of the kings of the earth to hearing God's words spoken by his people. As God's servants in the song are described, giving him thanks before the gods, all the kings of the earth will hear of God's greatness. And then as David sings, they'll praise you, O Lord. Now I believe in this effect as David is singing here, it's, it's both exhorting, God's people to give him thanks because of how God may work through their testimony to bring himself glory. But I also believe that David is recognizing in light of the covenantal aspect that he was experiencing that one day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord from king to commoner. Every tongue will confess. And church is a body we believe we are called to exalt God above all, we must give thanks for all that God has done. And most importantly, for our great salvation in Christ, because the good news of our salvation, as we heard from Katie this morning, the testimony to God's gospel impact in us is the message by which God has determined to bring sinful men and women to life. As we give thanks before others, we pray, as David did before us, that our friends, that our our neighbors, our loved ones, co-workers, and nation's leaders, our world's leaders would repent and believe so that they too may praise the Lord. And church, we do this. We share this. We, we pray with urgency because we know and we recognize that there's coming a day when Christ is going to return. And on that day, for those who have yet to repent, those who remain in their sin, it'll be too late. And so if you're this Here this morning, and you've never admitted your sin, that you've offended God by seeking your own glory, doing things your way, you've been living for your own ends, rejecting his commands. You may not have even known he had commands, spurned his love, which he's described in the scriptures. You didn't even know was there. If you've never confessed your sin and repented and believed, then I pray that you would at least seek out someone today and ask why. What is this all about? For without a relationship with God, your thanksgiving, sadly, will look like that of millions of others around our world or even particularly here in America who this Thursday are going to be focused simply upon eating turkey, watching football, spending time with family and then preparing for Black Friday rather than that which David sang about in this song and that Samuel Adams referenced as we heard earlier rather than giving thanks to God for his loving kindness and faithfulness as demonstrated to us in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we give thanks to you for your loving kindness and your faithfulness. Father, your loving kindness so perfectly, ultimately evidenced in the gospel as you, a holy God who created everything and men and women, to live in relationship with you. But we messed messed up that perfect relationship for we failed to obey. We sinned. Lord, and we've tried to fix it. Lord, each and every one of us is born with a sense of dissatisfaction, a a, a hunger, longing, a drive within us for something, something more than what we have in this moment. Father, and your word makes clear that that something is you. And that apart from your grace, as you sent Jesus, you came like us in every way, and yet you lived the perfect life that we could not live. And then you went to a cross, and you died in our place, paying the punishment that our sin, our our disobedience, had merited. For you as the God in whom is life, the ultimate punishment for failing to live in obedience to your ways is the ultimate antithesis to life, which is death. And so Christ took that upon himself for us and then rose from the dead three days later, extending to whoever would repent and believe life again in relationship with you. Father, this is the gospel. This is how deep the Father's love is for us. This is how vast and beyond measure. Father, we give you thanks for this love and the truth connected with it that we may know without doubt that you are God. Father, thank you for how you open eyes how you change hearts. Lord, it's a work only you do. And therefore, we ask that day, this day, God, you would open eyes, open and change hearts to realize who you are for your glory. Thank you, God, for saving us, for giving us your grace. We don't deserve it, or we are not perfect. We've not been made so. You've simply clothed us with Christ's perfection. And you are now making us more and more into the image of Jesus. Lord, this week as we live, we pray we would be intentionally thankful that we might sing our thanks for all that you have done for us, most importantly, at the cross.